Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi. Hey. Hello. Howdy. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Just trying out some new intros on you, trying to spice things up a little bit, trying to learn something new. Maybe I am a howdy girl. How would I know if I never tried it? I have. I'll tell you, I don't think I'm a howdy girl, but I'm glad I tried it. I hope everyone's doing well out there. I hope we're all staying safe, uh, feeling supported, feeling connected. That's what we're here to do, and that's why we're excited to bring you this episode featuring Katie Burton. Katie is a musician, storyteller, artist. She'll tell you more about it in the episode. Katie and I met doing the Greetings from Queer Mountain storytelling show, and I saw her on another storytelling show called Talking Books, where she was phenomenal. And I was so excited to talk to her, see how she's doing, see what she's been doing to keep busy. And she has a lot of great quarantine tips, and she has a lot of amazing things to, to talk about. Stay tuned at the end of the episode. We're featuring a song which she talks about during the episode where she and her friend Corey and his daughter Evangeline during quarantine remotely put together a song and did kind of a jam. And I think that's so cool. And I think there's so many amazing ways to stay active and creative that we're not even thinking of. So I was excited for that. So stay tuned for that. And I'm excited for this episode. So let's get to it. Katie Burton, y'all. I was just saying, I have a, a coworker who has a particularly anxious dog. And so since she's been home, it's been great for the dog's anxiety, except if she goes from like one room to another room, mm-hmm. uh, the dog, wait, he waits about two minutes. So he waits until she's like in the middle of whatever she's saying. And then he just goes nuts and she can't really mute it because she's the one that's talking. So it's just, <laughs> it's these weird times and the animals are picking up on the changes and it's just, it's really interesting. But how are how are you in general? How are you doing with everything that's going on? Where uh, I know Louisiana's kind of reopened. We're in phase one, where we're twenty five percent reopened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, if you're going anywhere or staying home or just how are you doing? Well, uh, overall, hanging in best as possible. Like you said, it, these are pretty weird times. I don't know if anyone knows necessarily how to navigate these things. I've been staying in, honestly. I know things have started to reopen, but it feels weirdly nerve-wracking just to leave the house now. And I don't know if that's because I've been spending so much time at home. And that's a weird thing for me because I went out a lot in the before times, before Corona. (laughs) And it was something that I looked forward to. I spent more nights out going out and hanging out with people than I did staying in. And now I feel weirdly uncomfortable leaving the house. And I don't know why. 
like going to the grocery store feels like the walking dead when they go on these scavenging runs and you have to get all packed up, masked up, and you have to like be on constant guard against people coming too close. It's just weirdly stressful. So for the most part, I've stayed at home. And even though I've gone to a couple food pop-ups to get food to go or drinks to go, I usually just get it and I go right back home. Yeah, we, we've only been really to 12 mile limit, which is a block and a half from our house. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a bar that just reopened, but the inside's closed. You have to stand outside um, mm-hmm. or they have a backyard with very limited seating, but we're not we're not even sitting anywhere. Yeah. But we want to support them because we want these great places that we go to to still be around whenever this ends or even now. Absolutely. You know, to be around. But we went and we met a couple of friends there on Friday. So we just, you know, get our drinks and we stand outside and we're all six feet away and we're as masked as possible while also still trying to have a drink and survive the heat of mm-hmm. New Orleans right now. But it, it's weird because when you first, you know, we haven't seen people in two or so months. So when you see mm-hmm. them, your first inclination is I want to hug you and say, hi, I, mi- I mm-hmm. miss you. I really genuinely miss you. And I'll, and I'll say that that's all you can really do. So it's kind of like, I'm happy to be out and and see people and not just on screens with Zooms because I am definitely tired of just being on these Zooms all the time. I'm happy to connect with people, but I miss being in people's presence. But then there's, Mm -hmm. you're left a little unsatisfied. No, absolutely. And I struggle with that too. And first of all, I love 12 Mile Limit. And that's one of those places that I've been wanting to get back to, even though I was living in Lower Garden District and I just moved to the Seventh Ward. So I'm technically closer. Yeah, moving in the middle of a pandemic was also an adventure that I wouldn't want anyone to have to do. It was a bit of a disaster, but I got it done. But the only bar that I've been to so far is Kiki, that gay bar uptown. And it was really surreal because that was one of those places I went to all the time. I know and I'm friends with the bartenders there. The the lady who runs the place asked me when everything closed down, they redid the bar, they painted it and everything and got some fresh artwork up. And she asked me to do a piece to add to the bar. And so I was really excited to see it installed on the bar and everything. But when you go back into these spaces that used to be so familiar in one context, and now that context has completely changed where you can't give people hugs. You can't embrace the people you've been missing. And for me, that that kind of physical touch is really important. It is weird and it's and it's weirdly unsatisfying. So part of me was really glad to be back in that space and talking to those people, but we're all wearing masks and we can't give each other hugs and we can't engage and interact in the same way that we used to. And it feels just... It's like another life, you know, and so as familiar as the space is, it's wholly unfamiliar at the same time. And it's really disconcerting when you think about it. And so I kind of left that after popping by Kiki, getting some food, getting a drink, and I was going home. I was like, this is such a weird world that we live in now. And I don't know if and when it's going back to what it was. Yeah, I've been meaning to stop by there, too. I, you know, definitely. So Kiki is 
and it's hard to describe. It's a very small bar. Oh yeah. So it is very into. It's a very intimate setting mm-hmm. in and of itself. But they have a great outdoor space. Um, so they do have like tables and chairs outside. So mm-hmm. I definitely go there. And then Heidi with her tacos is amazing. I always every time I've been there, I just go right up because the bar is like a taller bar, so you get comfortable on tall bar stools mm-hmm. and on five two. So I kind of like the feeling of my legs kind of hanging down and feeling like a, a little kid for a minute. But I'm also yeah. at a bar kind of feel <laughs> this wasn't the last time I was there but this is a, a time that I can remember being there I want to say it was after Halloween because they had uh, candy corn just in martini glasses on <laughs> on the bar yeah. and I am one of the people I love candy corn I get that it's disgusting and it gives me this insane sugar rush that is probably not healthy but I, <laughs> I love it and I'm just sitting there you know drinking a vodka soda and munching on <laughs> on candy corn to my heart's content and, and arguing with people who are like, how could you eat that? And I'm like, well, then you don't get any, let's move on. But, but I can't, like, I just sat there and, and picked candy out of a cup that who knows, you know, and I didn't yeah. think twice about it because that yeah. was the world. And I know this bar and they're like, it's, there's a wonderful queer space. And I'm mm-hmm. like, of course they brought me candy. This is amazing. <laughs> and now i mean like yeah if candy's sitting out in a cup like no one's gonna touch it now i mean unless it's like individually wrapped or something like that but i'm kind of i don't know i'm not a fan of candy corn so help yourself that's all for you <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very rare you know when people give out candy it's very rare that they just have candy corn aplenty that's, um, so that's that's true and probably for a reason <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I know. Uh, I'm one of the cilantro people too. That I think cilantro tastes like soap. Oh no! And that is a plenty everywhere. So I, I feel like yeah, like my taste buds are just not meant for for the general <laughs> population. Well, that's fine because people then you know you don't want the cilantro. There's going to be plenty of people snatching that up. You want the candy corn. A lot of people ain't going to touch it. It's you know it's balanced. This is how the universe works itself out, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they probably got it and were like, we don't want this shit. We'll just put it out (laughs) at the bar. And then I walk in and I'm like, here's extra tip money. This is amazing. (laughs) They're like, oh, this was this was clearly for you. Here you go. (laughs) Although I like the idea of it being like in a martini style glass. So you're like sipping your cocktail and then in another cocktail glass eating this candy corn. This This is a good visual. I like it. Yeah, I wish someone should have taken a picture. That would have been nice. But now it's just in my memory. But that's the kind of place it was. It was just like this warm, friendly place. And yeah. now, you know, I'm I'm hesitant to go anywhere at yeah. all. But I want to support, especially a, a queer bar in uptown New Orleans. It's one of a kind. And I definitely, yeah. you know, want to support it. But I'm going to it's going to be a different reality. Yeah, I can say when I went there. So they've taken out all the bar stools. So you can't even sit at the bar anymore. Which is a bummer because that was one of the great things about the space. You said it's intimate and absolutely. I mean, you're sitting right next to so many people and you get to meet a lot of people that way. Uh, Some of my close friends in the city, I've met all of them through that space. And now it's all outdoor seating, which they do have an abundance and and that's nice. And pretty much everyone was staying outside. So it seemed like people were keeping good, good amounts of distance. And sitting at the tables outside. So if people were coming in, it was strictly to get a drink and to step back outside. But it's a shame. You know, you feel like you lose something with that kind of a setup. Yeah. But it's like also it's either this or we lose everything. So it's. Exactly. You know, work work with what we have. It's just a different world that we're going to be living in. And I think 
the big part of this quarantine has been me trying to come to terms with that. Just trying to picture in my mind, what is it going to be like to go to a drag show or, you know, greetings from Queer Mountain, you know, these kinds of things where you usually are speaking in front of or sitting amongst a lot of people. What is, how is that even going to look after we move past this? And that, that was, it gave me a lot of anxiety for a while. I'm not going to lie, but I think we can find a way, you know, that if there's anything that humans are really good at is coming up with alternative options in order to continue to live our lives in some capacity. It may not be the same, but we're still going to do it. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about what our Queer Mountain storytelling show, because it's a monthly storytelling show. And like you said, that space is we have a, a pretty... um I'd say at least half of our crowd are regulars. So, and it's people that come specifically so they can, you know, I know this person's going to be there and, you know, these folks are going to be there and people stay afterwards to talk in the courtyard. And I mean, we're not planning any in-person shows right now and not for Mm -hmm. what I see the foreseeable future, but there's a lot of responsibility in what that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. And I know because we had been planning, uh, you had been planning to do a show right before the shutdown and and you had asked me to to be in in that show and and I remember because I it was supposed to be that that thirteenth March thirteenth right when everything started shutting down and I remember you were kind of struggling with that and seeing how can we have this show and do it safely and then I remember finally you all were like you know out of interest for public safety I think it's best if we just postpone this and I think that was the right call ultimately. But it's one of those things where what what will that look like after we move past this moment? And and I remember too, I had I had that story, I had practiced it and I was ready to go. And then you in your heart you know this is the right decision, but you're like, dang, <laughs> you know, that, that was, <laughs> this, this may have been the the last chance. And and the live audience is such a key factor for those things to get those immediate responses to a story you're telling or or a joke you're telling and to feel the energy in the room. And virtual is certainly an option. And I'm glad we have all of these digital platforms with which we can connect to different people, but it's just not the same. And when you're around someone and you feel that energy, it's a completely different experience. And uh, that's probably what I miss the most uh, with the shutdown. That was a very hard decision because that show, we decided to postpone it. Um, New Orleans hadn't called it yet. So the city was still open. Always had five shows that night. We were one of five shows and all the other four shows all went on that night. And they no one put any pressure on me. You know, when we called the show, it definitely was 100% our call to do that. But it, there was this implicit pressure of like, well, everyone else is doing their show. And then I talked to all the performers, uh, you included. We had six storytellers that night and everyone was willing to go forward. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I, I felt like I did my my due diligence in, in everything. And we had some people that actually volunteered to get there early to give everything a scrub down and mm-hmm. help space out the chairs and, and take care of the logistics. I also had mic, mic covers that we could, yeah. you know, every person mm-hmm. could have their own. We had the bases covered, but it's still not 100%. And I still like, I was like, if so, if something happens or somebody gets sick, right. I, I could never forgive myself, but it was difficult. I almost was hoping all the performers were like, yeah, we don't want to do this. And I was like, great. <laughs> Sorry. <it's> not, you, <laughs> know. I, you know, no, no, no. But I think that's also, I think that's also great too, that like we have this show and people wanted to do it and mm-hmm. people trusted us too. They trusted 
you know, everything that we were doing as far as the precautions and everything that always was doing um, as far as their precautions. So it was, it was a very, a very hard decision. And I, Mm -hmm. I made it, uh, I think like three hours before the show because I was very back and forth on it. But I, I do think it was the right decision. I also felt like, Hey, I know, cause it's the kind of show, you know, like I do stand up. So stand up, uh, I have my bits that are already worked out pretty much. And, you know, I can get up and do it and I can do it another night with these stories. A lot of the stories of queer mountain people only do them that one time. They've been mm-hmm. working really hard on them and I didn't want to take away that, space for everybody but there was just this is a crisis this is it's a responsibility and yeah. this is a pandemic and at the time we didn't realize how bad it was going to be we didn't realize how terrible our federal government was gonna I mean we could have probably guessed it but we didn't know the city was going to even shut down so it was just a very it was very hard yeah but I do think it was the right thing and you know whether we go digital at some point or you know eventually we get back you know hopefully y'all will have those stories still and we'll still have that space for it I, I know my stories probably changed just because of the experience of the quarantine and I was thinking over just the other week, oddly enough, if Queer Mountain were to move forward and if it's the if it's the same theme, and I think you said you're going to keep the same theme, what would I choose now? And I was like, well, it's going to be a story from the quarantine because it's been such a formative experience. So, which is fine. I think that's totally fine. I think the story I was going to tell is something that fits better in the world that we used to live in versus the one we live in now. And I think we just kind of, you know, recognizing the fact that everything has fundamentally changed and it's changing who we are and how we interact with each other. But I do hope we get to a day when not only these kind of events can move forward, but I just want to get back to a point where I can see somebody, give them a hug and not have to think twice about it. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe not have a a mask on to do it. Yeah, that would be better. (laughs) I was going to say, but the mask is going to present some unique problems down here during the summer. Uh, I have gone to a gym. I've I've gone to work out a couple times. I, I was curious to test that out. So that is one thing I have done in terms of leaving my house, but the way uh, I use Anytime Fitness and the way they've been setting it up is you reserve an hour block of time so they can keep limits on the number of people going and you have to wear a mask and working out with a mask on is awful. It's just just a really miserable experience. But I was thinking about this may be a preview of wearing these masks in New Orleans in the summertime. That is going to be a struggle. (laughs) <laughs> that's going to that's going to be really really hard. I just was like it's it's swamp face. This is our this is our new problem for 2020. Oh yeah. I mean it's hard enough now and it's it's hot now but it's not new world in summer hot. Oh no. And it's you know walking around it is very difficult. Um already. Yeah, to not overheat yourself by yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just like the the moisture from the breath coming back onto your face. It's like this is the worst experience. Get it off. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The second I walk in the house and just tear it Clawing off. Clawing it off my face, yes. <laughs> uh, so so I know you do um you you're you paint mm-hmm. and I know you've done stories for us and uh for uh, there's another show talking books that I was at at uh, Crescent City Books mm-hmm. which was a storytelling show about books um which was amazing. So I know you've done storytelling and painting and I'm not sure you know, what other art forms you pursue, but what are you doing to, to stay creative or to just keep that like mental uh, health headspace in a positive direction? Yeah. Uh, painting has been a big help for me. There's been times when in the middle of this quarantine where I've found myself just 
sitting and staring at a wall for, I, I don't even know how much time because <laughs> that was all the energy I could muster in that moment. And I found that in the times where anxiety has been building, or I just want to shut everything out and not think about the fact that I'm stuck at home, I can really lose myself in sitting down, putting on some music, putting my phone on do not disturb and just working on something and trying different styles and trying to become a better painter. Uh, this is something I only picked up at some point last year because I was looking for a creative outlet. And I'm really glad that I did because now I feel comfortable enough doing it and trying new things that this quarantine has given me time and space to attempt different styles, try, uh, it's, it's an abstract kind of art uh, that I do. And I'm trying to do more pieces that have some sort of visual form. Like I tried to paint an oak tree, for example, and it came out pretty cool. I was happy with it. So just trying to push those boundaries a bit. But I've also been picking up a guitar again. I used to, I, I was in a terrible college rock band uh, <laughs> uh, back during undergrad. Just, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun, but, you know, it, it was what it was. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to pretend like it was anything <laughs> more than that. But, you know, we we would party, have a good time and just go absolutely insane on stage for an hour or so. But I haven't played guitar regularly since those days, because for me, playing guitar was always more fun when I was playing with other people. And I've kept it going over the years where I just kind of pick it up, make sure I'm still able to play songs and things of that nature. But this quarantine has let me sit down and I started learning new songs and I've been playing more regularly. And I did a cool little project with one of my friends who lives up in New Hampshire, Maine. I can't remember. He's If he listens to this, he's going to be mad at me, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> somewhere where it snows. but he, Far, far <laughs> away. Far, far yes. away, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we were in um, grad school together uh, in Texas, and he and his family moved up north afterward. But he's been doing these remote music projects where he plays guitar, someone else does the vocals, and then his daughter who's 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that range. She She's cool as hell. She's such a cool, spunky little kid, uh, but she plays the drums. And so we did a little kind of piece together rendition of uh, Sitting on the Duck by Otis Redding, where I sang the lyrics and he did the guitar and, you know, he even threw in some brass instruments and all, but it was all remote and pieced together. And it was kind of a cool little project that uh, I thought, and I told him, I was like, I want to do more of these because it was really fun to if you could call it perform, I don't know if you can even use that term in this context, but but just to be musically engaged again in that way. So it's been nice returning to those kind of roots as well. Yeah, you'll have to give us the song. We could put it at the end of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because he sent me the guitar track and there was no drums. So I sang at the pace of the guitar track and then the drums were added after the fact. And I was like, yeah, the pacing's a little like, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but you can tell it was kind of pieced together, but it was still really fun. And it's also something that, you know, allows him to do something fun with his kid. And I get to quote unquote, hang out with an old friend again, even if in this way. Yeah. And just feel creative and feel collaborative. Yeah, absolutely. 
What was your uh, your band called, or what did you have many many names? I love I love improv troupe names, band names, um, any sort of names we came up with between the ages of seventeen and twenty five that we thought were the shit. Well, uh, caveat here: I did not come up with this band name. My friends in college did, and it was all a bunch of like dude bros, but uh, or I should say stoner bros. But uh, um, they called the band Balls Deep. So. <laughs> So I was in a band called Balls Deep uh, during college and it, it was admittedly like just a lot of fun. And we mostly played, this was in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, and I'm, I'm originally from Oklahoma and we mostly played there in, you know, bars around the town. Uh, but one time we did get to play in this festival of sorts. It, it, it was an, it was like a battle of the bands, not a festival. It was like a battle of the bands in Dallas. And that was a real like boon for us. So we did this fun road trip down to Dallas for the weekend, partied like crazy, definitely didn't win, <laughs> but, but we had a good time and we were able to, to tear it up on stage at a, you know, at a venue out of state. So that was a lot of fun. That was kind of our peak. And then uh, by the time people started graduating, it fizzled out as those things do, but it was a lot of fun for the moment in time that it happened. But yeah, balls deep. <laughs> Not my choice. <laughs> yeah, I guess there were no other iterations. They were like, we, this is it. This we is got it. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And before that, I was in another little group with uh, one of the guys who played guitar in Balls Deep, which is how I ended up in that group. Um, and we were called Wobble Box because why not? <laughs> how does that come to you if i remember right i think because it was that guitar player who came up with the name i think it's a part on a tractor or something like that it's very country it's very oklahoma it has some meaning related to farm equipment okay well that plays <laughs> there you go right <laughs> sure <laughs> so oklahoma and then what did you come from Oklahoma to New Orleans and what got you to New Orleans? So from Oklahoma, went to undergrad and got my master's at Oklahoma State University. Go Pokes. And then I got accepted into a PhD program in Arlington, Texas. So I spent six years in North Texas and Arlington is in kind of the Dallas Fort Worth area. It's between those two cities. So I spent six years there getting my PhD in, in transatlantic history and then I got a one-year teaching position at Louisiana Tech in Ruston. Oh. Yeah. I've, I've been to Ruston. Um, that's very country. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean. Beautiful, beautiful. It's, I mean, technically it's Louisiana, but it's mostly South Arkansas <laughs> is how I like to think of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I spent a year teaching there. I got invited to do a, a one-year visiting, visiting assistant professor gig at, at Louisiana Tech. And I really enjoyed that. And I was hoping it would turn into a full-time line, but, but it didn't. But my ex, because uh, I used to be married, my ex got a job in New Orleans and was moving here. And I pretty much had to tell my boss at Louisiana Tech because they were waiting for budgetary approval to renew my contract for another year. And I was like, here's the situation. You know, my spouse is moving to New Orleans for this job. I need to know what's going on here. And, you know, they just didn't have an answer. So finally I said, okay, well, I'm going to move to New Orleans. But one of my colleagues that I was working with at the time said, he was like, I would rather be unemployed in New Orleans than employed in Ruston. So I was like, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're not wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did get to work with some lovely people at, at tech though. So that was a really good experience. And I've been able during this quarantine to reconnect with some of them, which has been really nice. But yeah, I came down to New Orleans. It was never a city that I ever anticipated moving to. It just kind of happened. And when I got down here, it just clicked. I've never lived in a city or any place that I've lived has been a place that I wanted to stay until I came here. And there was something about the vibe of New Orleans that just clicked with me almost immediately. And I realized I do want to stay here. So even though I ended up separating from my ex and getting my own place within a few months of moving down here, I decided that this is where I wanted to stay. And it's kind of become my adopted home. And I don't see myself ever wanting to leave. But it's the only place I've ever lived where I could truly be myself and not have to worry about it, which has been so refreshing, especially when you're growing up in a place like Oklahoma, <laughs> where you absolutely cannot be yourself. <laughs> yeah. Where where in Oklahoma did you grow up? Uh, outside of Tulsa, this town called Claremore. Basically, when I left Claremore, I said, never again, and did not look back. So uh, I left there to go to Stillwater to go to school. And then after I ended up moving to Texas to go to grad school. Um, I've been back to Oklahoma a few times, but not very often, to be honest with you. Yeah. Was it, is Claremore a big city, small city? Um, it's gotten bigger over the years. They do have a college there. I think they became a four-year university after I left. It, it wasn't a tiny town. Like There was 200-something people in my high school class when we graduated, but it wasn't a massive city or anything like that. When I lived there, they didn't, they had a movie theater, but it was a movie theater no one would ever want to go to. It was very skeevy. And so if you ever wanted to just go to the movies or do anything, you went to Tulsa. I mean, you just drove half an hour and went to Tulsa to do anything. After I left, they built a new movie theater. They got all these kind of new things popping up, but eh, that's okay. They can have it. <laughs> yeah, you have New Orleans. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm in a much better spot. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, some people like living there and that's fine. It wasn't for me. Is your family still there? Uh, my parents moved to Tulsa pretty much after my brother and I left the house. So from time to time, I'll go back to Tulsa and visit with them. But I haven't been back there now in about a year, I think. Maybe over a year. Dang, I don't know. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> Where I grew up, my no one in my family lives there anymore, so... Um, every once in a while when I'll, cause I'm from the suburbs of LA of Los Angeles. Um, and my brother still lives in North Hollywood, but so like half an hour from where we grew up and my mom's in Florida and my dad's in Pennsylvania. So if I go back to see my brother, like my high school friends, sometimes I'll drive to our hometown just to see like, Oh, it's where I went to high school and this is where I used to live. And, mm -hmm. and I have that nostalgia still, but that's about it. You know? Yeah. I don't think I would ever go back. It's just one of those things where even in Tulsa, I'm just very aware of the fact that I, I'm very visibly gay. Like it's not something I'm not subtle, <laughs> you know, and it's just, <laughs> someone can look at me and be like, Oh, we know exactly. Right. And, and which is fine because around here, I feel totally comfortable doing that. But when I go back to places like Oklahoma or I did like a work trip uh, to a small, like I was running a workshop to a, a smaller town outside of Chicago you just, you notice the looks people give you. And it's just like, oh yeah, I'm not in my comfortable, safe little home bubble anymore. And I just become a hyper aware of stuff like that. Anytime I leave uh, New Orleans to go to places like 
Oklahoma for sure. Because I mean, admittedly, I didn't meet anyone who was out the entire time I lived there. The entire time I grew up, went to school, got my master's degree. I didn't meet a single person who was out the entire time I lived in Oklahoma. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, when you look back, you're probably like, I'm sure there were some queer people in my, you know, hemisphere, Mm -hmm. but for whatever personal reasons or safety reasons Mm -hmm. that they had, they might not have felt comfortable being out. Right. And, And certainly like there's a few people I've stayed in touch with from high school, very few, but yeah, some of them came out and a lot of them don't live in Oklahoma anymore, the ones that came out. So, I mean, they were there. We we were connected to each other. We just either didn't understand or recognize our own queerness or we just weren't willing to be open about it. Me, I just didn't recognize it uh, until much later. I was I was one of those who just got so buried in school and grad school and kind of the pursuit of, you know, finishing my theses and my dissertation and getting all of this work done, checking all the boxes that when I finally came out of grad school, I was like, oh, shit. Sorry, can I curse on this? Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) I'm I'm generally the one that curses more. um, As My mom listens to every episode, and she's pointed that out. (laughs) Um, But feel free to say whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) Excellent. So, yeah. So by the time I got out of grad school, I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) I need to to figure some things out about myself. So, yeah, I, I came to it late. But again, it was just one of those things where the first time I met someone and got to know someone who was openly out and in a a queer relationship, I was done with my PhD. So it took that long before those paths even intersected with my own. And then I really started to have to come to terms with, oh, this is who I am and I need to explore this some more and figure some things out. But um, it's it, part of it is a product of the environment I grew up in, but also it's just this thing of, uh, it was a lot easier to hide in grad school than, and, and focus on the work and, and prioritize that, make your identity a grad student and not have to think about anything beyond that realm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know for me, I definitely would be like, oh, thank God, like in my brain, I'd be like, oh, I don't actually like any boys, that's great. I don't have any distractions for, mm-hmm. for my work yeah. that I'm going to focus on. <laughs> yeah, right. Let me ask you, so this is a question that I pretty much ask everybody because it's a coming out question, but it, it's uh, kind of a, an onion peel of, of layers. These could all be the same answer or different answers. It's, you know, mm-hmm. however this was experienced for you, but it's when did you come out to yourself? And then when did you start coming out to uh, friends and family? And then when did you start, you know, coming out uh, publicly, either in your performance or just in general life? So pretty recently. So I finished my PhD in 2015. And that was one of those moments where I think even before, that's kind of a funny question too, because I think even before I finished grad school, I was starting to have to come to terms with the fact, oh, wait a second. I thought that woman was really hot. Why? Why did I think that? You know, <laughs> and beginning to recognize a few things about myself. I think to myself, I started to call myself by before I finished my PhD. I didn't tell anyone that until afterward. I told my ex that I was like, I think I'm bisexual. 
And, you know, full disclosure, my ex is a man, but I told him that and he was like, oh, okay. And that was 2016, I think. He was like, oh, okay. And he was like, we're still good, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, don't worry about it. Just had to get that off my, Just, you know, thought, get it out there. Thought I thought I'd share this little little nugget of information. But yeah, it, it, it kind of came to a head when I had presented on a conference panel with someone who I was just like, oh, like, I mean, like instant attraction type of thing. And I had to kind of come to terms with that. So I finally, I started seeing a therapist and finally began directly confronting some of these questions. And that was still in 2016, I think, maybe early 2017-ish. Like, so, so it's pretty recent stuff. And then 2017 was just like a, a hell of a year where I finally like came out to my ex, separated, got my own place. And, and admitted, and I'll say this, like he was an absolute angel of a human being because when I told him, I was like, you know what? I, I, I told you that I, I think I'm bi, but I think I'm actually gay. And his response was, uh, and I'll never forget it. He said, well, obviously I'm not happy but I'm really glad you're beginning to come to terms with who you really are. Wow. What an amazing answer. Yeah. I mean, it's just like this, such an incredible person. Um, and we're still very good friends and we still stay in touch and like get together to watch the saints games and things like that together. Uh, he's still an incredibly important person to me. And yeah. So I think, you know, there, there was a lot of love and, and it was absolutely real, but it just wasn't the kind of, you know, full encompassing, like, romantic, you know, love and, and physical attraction and all that kind of stuff. So all in that year, I came out to, to him, to my family, moved out, got my own place, and then actively started trying to meet people in the queer community here in New Orleans. So that was all happening in 2017. So that was very recently. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting because you, you said earlier, you know, that you came out late. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people that I talk to and myself included, we, we all feel like we came out late, like whatever late means mm -hmm. is, you know, to us, we're just like, yeah, it was late. I came out late. And it's, I, I think, <laughs> I believe we all come out when we're, when we're meant to and when we're ready to. Right. And I don't think, you know, relatively speaking, I'm like, what does late even mean? That's true. And that that's a really good point. I think, because I remember when I talked to my mom about it, like I'm the only person in my family that's ever come out even including extended family, I, I don't know anyone personally in my family who's come out besides me. So it's not something my family has had to deal with. But I remember talking to my mom when we first had that conversation and she was like, well, it just seems like everybody's coming out these days. And I was like, isn't that a good thing that we're at a place where more people feel comfortable doing this? And she was like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, people can feel comfortable to be who they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that that is a really good point about what even there, there's no set timetable for anything in life, and I think we know this, but we always have these expectations, and I I know I've felt moments of envy for people who did figure this stuff out about themselves when they were younger, because they they were just that much more in tune with who they are and who they were, whereas for me, I didn't engage with that for so long and intentionally ignored it and pushed it down and pushed it down. And I was miserable and it took coming through to the other side to realize just how miserable I was, but you don't always not recognize that in those moments. So it takes its own 
time. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. Thank you. Yeah, no, I've been thinking about that a lot too. And I've been, cause I've been thinking, cause I just turned 37 uh, very recently. So, you know, on every birthday, there's always bound to be, especially since 35, there's bound to be some reflecting on like, what have I done with my life? I'm, you know, edging closer to 40 every single day is kind of this milestone. And so that's one of the things I was thinking of is like, well, yeah, maybe like if I could do it over again, I'd come out when I was 12 or 13 and, Mm -hmm. and I'd live this out life and it'd be different, but I wasn't ready and I couldn't have handled it then, you know? So I've been thinking a lot about that. And then also like, once you do come out being on the other side of that, you know, especially with everything that's built up. And like, for me, it's like, I knew this, I knew this, I knew this, I did the same thing you did. I buried it down until I couldn't do that anymore. And then came out and then I was a different, like literally a different person because that was a layer that was constantly part of my life that nobody knew about and that I couldn't talk about, Mm -hmm. but that I felt every single day. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if you did the, you know, that 10 year like glow up challenge (laughs) that was at at the end of the year um before new year's this past year is like you know a picture from 2009 and then like 2019 and i did it and i put up the pictures on facebook and someone commented one of my friends commented wow you look like a completely different person and i was like it's because i am you know that person that first picture has no idea who she is. But then I look back at who I was as a kid and I was like, how the fuck did people not know I was gay? Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite movie as a child was Sunset Boulevard. Come on. (laughs) I I think that too. Like when I came out to my dad, that's when he's just like, well, that explains all this softball and (laughs) this. And and you really like that movie now and then and you loved A League of Their Own. And so he's like going through all the things and I'm just like, check check yep, like yep. <laughs> like nobody put it together but if they really sat down and made a list of my my interests <laughs> oh yeah i was i loved broadway musicals and listened to them mm-hmm. endlessly rent was one of my favorite musicals hmm yep. weird check <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember when rent came to tulsa and i just about lost my mind just begging my parents can i please have a ticket i'm like just so gay <laughs> Yeah, of course. And Rent is like the gayest musical of the musicals. (laughs) And I listen to it constantly. Yes. So yeah, and there's all these moments that come up in conversation when I'll reminisce and I'll think back to something about my childhood and I'll just catch myself and I was like, oh my God, this is gay as hell. (laughs) (laughs) How did nobody know? And so you're like, well, maybe they did or maybe they didn't. And it's okay. You know, I I find it hilarious to look at back. You know, I look at my old like DVD collection or CD collection, or I found an old blog I had with poems I wrote. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's hilarious to me, like how blaring (laughs) it is. (laughs) Yeah, it was right there the whole time. But uh, yeah, I mean, at least at the time growing up in Oklahoma, like I said, no one else was out and probably for reasons that, you know, whether subconsciously or consciously people were like, this is just not a good space to do this in. But when you don't encounter people who are living that, I mean, that authentic life for themselves, but also just living a queer life, it's hard to understand it or recognize it in yourself. And it it just took, it just took me a long time. And I'm I'm coming to terms with it being okay, but at the same time, it is still deeply frustrating that I didn't figure it out earlier. Yeah, because then you're like, well, I could have, you know, 
uh, like I was supposed to go to Pensacola Pride this year. And it's like, I could have gone to 20 Pensacola Prides. I could have, you know, and now I can't even go. And if I would have just come out 10 years earlier, like the world would have been my oyster and all these prides. And, you know, I could have done all these things. But but that's it's it's all right. And at the end of the day, because we have made made it to where we are today and we're both out and I I think in in good spaces and places. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that I get to settle into who I am in this city because New Orleans is such a magical place and it's truly a space where you can be yourself in any capacity and no one will look twice. And I love that. It's such a welcoming and, and comforting space. I mean, if I wanted to dress up like it was Mardi Gras day, even though it's the whatever day it is. But yeah, if I wanted to like just put on a Mardi Gras costume and just ride my bike around the city, no one's going to care. So I love that about this city. And also the city's super gay. So it's just nice and refreshing to see it on the surface in that way. So it's helped me feel that much more comfortable with coming to terms with who I am, but also the person that I always wanted to be but just never was. So that I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be in this city specifically at this moment in my life. Yeah. I mean, com- community is so important mm-hmm. um, for, an- for anybody, but I think especially, uh, you know, the queer community is so important. And in New Orleans, it is just so supportive and so wonderful and so artistic and just phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. And I, the people I've met living here that I, they, they've been nothing but sources of inspiration to me because people here are so creative and just brilliant. The things people can create out of nothing. I mean, it just blows my mind. You can get, it just looks like a few like pieces of this accumulation of random things and it can turn into a beautiful costume with the right person behind it. And people seem to do that effortlessly around here. And I love it. And just the different levels of expression and creativity has helped me tap into that side of myself as well, even though it's still something I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm just dipping the toe into the water, but like costuming is something I've never done before. <laughs> and <laughs> now it's one of my favorite things to, to, to do. And I'm always thinking about, well, what am I, what am I going to do for Halloween? What am I do for Mardi Gras? And it's always in the back of my mind. And, and I love that I get to think about those things since I live here now. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And that's, that's, what's great is you can express yourself in different ways that you never even thought this would be a way I'd express myself. Yeah, exactly. And I know one of my, one of my friends who performs as a drag king was, uh, she was telling me, you could be a drag king easy, you know, like was doing like talking about like how you would do the makeup, all the outfits, all these kind of things. I was like, honestly, if I was just going to be a drag king, I would just pull out clothes from my closet because (laughs) because (laughs) that's kind of how far I've come in the past few years. And that, you know, I, I finally have a haircut that I feel very comfortable in and, and it's short and I'm, I'm very happy with it, but I'm also wearing, I wear ties to work regularly, wear nice buttons up, button ups, and I'm, I'm looking into getting hopefully one of these days, the, the resources to get some tailored suits and, you know, just like steadily working toward like the Mad Men aesthetic, <laughs> like John Draper t- type of style. Like I basically watch Mad Men. I'm just taking notes, more waistcoats than a person should have in their closet. You know, these type of things I've been able to accumulate in just the past few years and finally use clothing as a way of expressing 
who I am as a person, but also feel comfortable wearing that for the first time in my life. And it's been pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I do hope that journey continues. I want to ask before we go, because we're about, unfortunately, this has, this has been, I, I love when conversations are like, very easy. Mm -hmm. And this has been very easy. And I definitely, you know, we could definitely do a part two, three, four, five. (laughs) But I do want to ask one more question before we go. And it's just what are you what are you looking forward to in the future? I want to leave with something positive. So um, is there something you're looking forward to in the future, a place that you can go to a hobby that you want to delve into a piece of clothing that you've had your eye on? That's a really good question. One thing I'm looking forward to is going on a trip where I can fly on a plane and hopefully not be too nervous about it, but actually leave my house (laughs) and go somewhere very different. That <laughs> um, that's something I'm looking forward to, and I've I've actually started planning for my birthday's in August, and I'm hoping to take a trip in August to possibly leave the country if that's possible. Um, we'll see, but yeah, just tra- to tra- just to travel again because I feel like that's something people won't be doing nearly as much of in the next few months or maybe upcoming years. I feel like people are probably going to want to stay put more than they venture out and about, but I would like to take a trip. And that's something that I'm hoping to do this year, if possible, whether it's safe, we'll see, hopefully keeping my fingers crossed and staying optimistic. But yeah, I, I, it's been a long time since I've gone on a trip for fun because I always seem to travel for work. And I had told myself even before the pandemic, I, I want to take a proper vacation for myself. And I still would like to do that. No, I, I can't wait to get back to, to traveling again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big traveler. And unfortunately, well, in one way, I saved a lot. I, I yeah. was able to pay a lot of bills because I was like, wow, I spent a lot of money traveling. But I do hope that's a temporary thing. And I do hope you get to have a good birthday trip in August. Can you uh, let folks know how they can connect with you on social media? Or if you have, you know, anything else that you want to promote? Oh, sure. Um, so you I primarily use Instagram as my social media platform. That is Okla underscore Nola. And it's mostly pictures of my garden, <laughs> which is which is another thing I've kind of thrown myself into over the quarantine is um, uh, trying to grow food for once. Uh, but pictures of my pets, pictures of the garden. But that that's probably my most used uh, social media platform, Facebook, KD Burton. But I also am doing a podcast with my full-time job at the National World War II Museum. It's it's a history podcast. It's about the end of World War II and Truman stepping up to the presidency. So if you're into history and that's something you want to listen to, uh, I host that. It's called To the Best of My Ability, and it's available on all podcasting platforms. Oh, great. Awesome. We'll definitely check that out. And Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for the invitation. This has been great. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, stay safe. And hopefully we're able to hang out in person again soon. Yes, absolutely. That is my dream. (laughs) Very soon. Ships roll in 
Burton for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub and Jessa Fallon for your help editing and producing the podcast. Come hang out with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Queer to My Heart, on Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. We would love to hear from you and connect with you. And thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll talk to y'all soon. Thank you. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.